What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And in this episode, we're going to find out who'd win in a fight between the Wonder Twins and Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. Now, uh, we went with Cloak and Dagger because it's it's topical. Of course, they had their series premiere late last week, and uh, we'll talk about that later on in this episode, but definitely wanted to go with Cloak and Dagger, and initially, we were going to go with Hawk and Dove as their adversary. Right. We planned that initially because they were supposed to appear on the Titans television series that's going to appear on the DC Universe streaming service. Yeah. Uh, but the more we thought about it, the more we thought that was a terrible matchup. Yeah, Cloak and Dagger would totally stomp them. Maybe, so. maybe. I don't know. We decided to go with the Wonder Twins because they're a little bit more like elemental based, I guess, like Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. They both have like almost like a symbiotic kind of relationship as well. Their power sets aren't similar, but they have other similarities that I think will make for a good match. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty fun. So later on this episode, we'll be going over each of those characters' backstories as well as their powers and discuss uh, how we think a matchup would go and then actually run the simulations to find out who would win. Uh, But before we get into that main event, we're going to go ahead and go over the news from the past week. There's quite a bit of news. Yeah, a lot of DC news, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we had the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse trailer that dropped. Uh, we're going to be talking about how Jared Leto is getting his own Joker spinoff film. Right. Uh, we're going to be talking about the the big news that dropped about Jeff Johns leaving DC Entertainment to uh, basically run his own production house right. for DC films and comics. There was also news about the DC Universe digital streaming platform. And uh, finally, we're going to give our brief thoughts on the Cloak and Dagger Freeform series premiere that debuted last week. Yeah, and also just a quick reminder, this Thursday, June 14th, We will be releasing on our Patreon account our top 10 list for the top superhero costume adaptations in film. Right. That was a lot of fun to talk about. We will also be archiving our episode where we discuss the top 10 superhero battles in film as well. So go ahead and join us before the 14th if you want access to that episode at our $2 tier. Otherwise, you can access our complete archive for just five bucks a month. Yeah. And and stay tuned to the end of this episode because we'll give a preview of our top 10 costume adaptation list episode there. 
Yep. Uh, right now, our goal with our Patreon is to get to 25 patrons. And at that point, we'll be mailing out actual physical copies of the Dynamic Dual No Prizes that we give out to people every episode. Right. So help us reach that goal. Go ahead and go to patreon.com slash dynamic dual. And there you can see all the cool bonus content that we have for you guys and get us one step closer to reaching that goal. Yeah. And speaking of no prizes, it's no prize time. So a no prize is an award that Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans who spotted typos or continuity errors. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award that we post to our social media accounts that I personally draw up for those who we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question was, who do you think is the worst looking supervillain in a Marvel or DC television show or film? And so we want to say congratulations to a Mr. Harrison Fox for giving the answer of Galactus. Right, from the Fantastic I don't even know Ford. if you could call him Galactus. It's right. more like Cloud Galactus. Cloud they, garbage. In the movie, I think Silver Surfer only mentioned him as Galactus one time, but the rest of the time they called him the Destroyer, which was a little bit weird too. Ugh. The movie did give some sort of impression that there was a an entity within the giant space cloud. You kind of saw like a silhouette. Yeah, but they never showed him. I don't know why. I don't, yeah, I don't know why either. Especially, I wonder if it was just like a budget concern or what. I know a lot of people were saying, oh, I mean, you couldn't show Galactus in the Fantastic Four movie as he is in the comics because that's too cheesy looking. Oh, gosh. To which I say, so slightly redesign him. You know, he doesn't have to look exactly like he did in the comics, but you can definitely work up a concept that looked like it belonged in that film and looked cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And looked somewhat faithful, at least to the comics. Book Absolutely. You didn't, you didn't have to cop out with the cloud because that was just lazy. Yeah. Just look at, the, you know, the MCU and their costume adaptations and how faithful they are. Look, right. Like someone like Hela. You know? Right, exactly. That could be ridiculous on the page, but they totally went for it and it looked fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, congrats again to Harrison Fox. We want to give an honorable mention shout out to uh, Jace Crump for giving the answer of Electro from Spider-Man 2. Which was also bad. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 2. We also are giving a shout out to Dan Baker for giving the answer of Mr. Freeze from the Batman and Robin movie. Right. So yeah, we will be asking another question of the week later on this episode, so stay tuned for that. And if you give our favorite answer, you'll win a Dynamic Duel No Prize as well. On to the news. All right, we got our first full-length trailer for the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie. Great. The last time we talked about this was when the teaser dropped, and the teaser just blew everybody away with, it the, was fantastic. with the art style. Yeah. And we see even more of that in this trailer. It just looks so well done. It looks fantastic. I, I still don't know how to describe it. It looks like it's going to be so good. It almost has like a claymation or a stop motion kind of vibe to it. You're right. But right. it's just so stylized. Yeah, the character design is great. The shading and the lighting is very unique and interesting. I can't wait to see this. We do get a look at some of Miles Morales' home life. It starts off with him getting ready for school, and we see his parents, and his dad's a police officer, just like in the comics. Yeah. And he's going to the prep school, just like in the comics. Um, I'm not sure if his origin will be the same, because in the comics, he became Spider-Man because his uncle, the Prowler, broke into Oscorp where they were experimenting on the spiders and one of the spiders crawled into the prowler's bag. Mm-hmm. And then when Miles went to visit his uncle, the spider crawled out of the bag and bit him. I wonder if that's going to be the same case here. We, we do see the prowler in the trailer, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Later on, they're fighting. The world building for this is just amazing. Uh, you see shots of, I think it's like upper Manhattan and like the ads you see, it's like a similar universe to our own, but just different. Instead of Coca-Cola, they drink Coca soda. <laughs> it's really interesting, but it leads into a fight between 
Peter Parker Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. Right. And I've always liked this ultimate version of the Green Goblin. He's a pretty cool take on the character. Yeah. So instead of a guy in a goblin suit riding a glider and throwing pumpkin bombs, he is like a mythological looking goblin. He's almost like a dragon or something. Yeah. Norman Osborn transforms into this actual goblin and he has wings to fly and instead of pumpkin bombs, he throws fireballs. Yeah, that's cool. So it's it's a pretty good take on him. I've I always liked that as a concept for sure. So that's the ultimate version of Green Goblin, but Peter Parker here, that's not the ultimate version of Peter Parker because no. the ultimate version of Peter Parker is young like Miles Morales. Right. So it looks like this is actually the 616 main Marvel Universe Peter Parker who comes into the Ultimate Universe and meets Miles Morales. It's definitely not Tom Holland. No, definitely not. What did you think of Jake Johnson's voice? I did not like it. No? No. Earlier on, we heard rumors that John Krasinski was going to do the voice of Peter Parker. And I think I would have much preferred that just because his voice is a little bit higher, maybe sounds a little bit more youthful than than Jake Johnson's. Uh-huh. His voice is really like deep and gravelly. I, I don't know. I think it, I want to say gravelly, but it is definitely deeper than what I'm used to coming from the character. It's low energy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The character of Peter Parker in this film does seem a little Jake Johnson-y, though. Like, he's low energy. He's kind of a slob. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's broke in this one, obviously. I don't know if he just has a different currency in his own universe than what they allow here. But that being said, there are times where I think it's not a great voice, and there are are times where I think it's a fantastic voice for him. I didn't appreciate the line he stole from Batman in that you save only one person. Oh, from Justice League? Right. I was like, oh, I've heard that before. It said it was done way better here. (laughs) Shut up. There was a cool part where after Miles Morales gets bitten by the spider and he's running through the city that we see those thought boxes from comics where he's like, it was just a normal spider mm-hmm. and I'm just a normal kid. And then he almost runs into the taxi cab and realizes he's not a normal kid. That convention of incorporating those comic book thought boxes is really cool. It gets me really excited because it's an advantage that comic book medium has over film and that you can see the entire narrative of a character's thoughts. And the fact that we get to see this for the first time that they're doing in this film is to me, it, it gets me super excited. Yeah, it's so interesting to get that inner dialogue. Like, how cool would it be to see a movie where you can hear the character speaking, but read what they're really thinking in, like, subtitle form? That's That's awesome. never really been done before in such a unique and fascinating concept. I can't wait to see it in action in this film. So, Peter Parker Spider-Man teaches Miles Morales how to be Spider-Man, and he learns that, you know, there's lots of different Spider-Men out there. And they run into Gwen Stacy at the end of this, who is Spider-Gwen, right. who is a, a Spider-Man from another, a Spider-Woman, I should say, from another dimension as well. I'm not sure how many Spider-Men from the Spider-Verse story they're going to bring along into this, or well, even like, if they're going to adapt the Spider-Verse story. Because the Spider-Verse story is not very Miles-centric. It incorporates all the Spider-Men right. from all the different universes, including Spider-Gwen, including Silk, Spider-Man 2099, Spider-Man Noir... Uh, mm-hmm. Even like the Spider-Man from the 60s cartoon. Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. <laughs> They're all in there. That's the question that Miles asks at the end of the trailer. How many Spider-Men are there? And then, you know, Peter Parker responds with, save it for Comic-Con. Which was very, which very may, meta. Which may be very literal in that we'll get the news of the rest of the cast at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. It'll be interesting. What did you think of Miles' relationship with his dad? I thought that, that was That was funny. my favorite parts of the trailer. When he's like, you have to say I love you back. <laughs> over you know through the police intercom that was hilarious just a great world building bit that shows like the tone of this film yeah overall like the trailer did exactly what it needed to it introduced us to miles morales 
and it built a world where there can exist multiple Spider-Men, you yeah. know, and things like that. It's a fantastic trailer. It gets me super excited. Yeah, I think it's easier to accept now for a lot of people who may have been balking at the idea of seeing a Spider-Man movie that didn't have a whole lot of Peter Parker in it. Oh, yeah. This shows that there will be quite a substantial amount of Peter Parker in it. Yeah, I was one of those people, I think. I was one of those people, and I'm totally sold on this film. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it'll be a great Christmas present to myself to see it. <laughs> but that brings us to our question of the week. This week's question is, what Marvel or DC franchise, other than Spider-Man, Batman, and Big Hero 6, would you like to see get a computer animated theatrical film? Yeah, we're not talking about like the, the DC animated, you know, Bruce Timm style animation. We're talking about, you know, legit like Pixar you know, computer animated, computer animated. Of course, we have Lego Batman. We have Into the Spider-Verse. We had Big Hero 6. Right. So besides those, what would you like to see? Post your answer to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com. We'll pick our favorite answer and draw that person a dynamic duel no prize that we'll post to social media. So yeah, let's move on to the next bit of news. Uh, so Jared Leto is getting his own Joker spinoff film. The, he will also be, uh, according to Variety, executive producing, which is interesting just because we already know that Todd Phillips is doing his own Joker origin story produced by Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese starring Joaquin Phoenix. So according to the Variety article, that movie is going to be under this new DC Origins banner that DC is going to announce at Comic-Con. And this Joker film is going to be more in line with the uh, DCEU continuity. Mm -hmm. Not sure how I feel about that. I mean, this is not the first time they've talked about doing a Joker movie with Jared Leto. They said that Suicide Squad wasn't going to be the, the only time that we saw the character um, and that they had plans to tell more stories with him. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. And, and in a way, I'm kind of glad because I would love to see Jared Leto get another shot at this character. Without the tattoos? Without the tattoos, you know, <laughs> and maybe under a, a better director. So, so many ways you could look at this. It's hard to judge whether or not this is good or bad news. If you had to pick one movie over the other, which one would you pick? I would pick the Jared Leto one. You know, I don't want a... Uh, a Joker origin. I never have. I remember I, you saying that, yeah. Yeah, the Joker's origin should be ambiguous. It should be a mystery. Yeah. You know, that's part of the appeal of the character is you don't know who this madman is, what his story is, and that makes him more terrifying. So what confuses me most about this whole DC Origins banner that they, they're saying they're going to make, I presume that what they're going to do is gonna, they're going to take these these characters from the DC universe and tell their origin story, kind of like what the X-Men were trying to do with X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. But with just a different cast and not in continuity with the regular DCEU. My question is, what if the DC Origins film is successful like more, more than successful. they thought it would be yeah. and more successful than uh, the films that are in the dceu does that mean that they won't build a franchise off of that origins film so as not to have a competing franchise with the dceu i don't know it hurts my head to think about i think you have to go into it understanding that they couldn't do that that these dc origin films have to be standalone like one-offs yeah. yeah just one out you know one shots right one of the biggest questions i have about this is can you no longer tell an origin story within the DCEU? Without it being underneath that DC Origins banner? Right. I mean, you think of something like Wonder Woman, which was an origin story. You know, would they not tell that story anymore in favor of keeping that 
under a new DC Origins banner with a different actress as Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. I don't under, I don't understand. They're it. creating competition with themselves, and that's something that you don't want to do. It's just a bad idea. Or is it though? Yes. We won't know until it actually comes out, and you know we see how everyone responds to it. Maybe it they're can not going to respond well. Well, look. I mean, look what Spider Man is doing with with the Into the Spider Verse thing. That's somewhat similar, but. It's animated, so it's easier to distinguish between the franchises. They're not creating competition so much as like a, a, a bonus franchise. You could make the claim that maybe they're going to go with a very, you know, visual style or a consistent style for the DCEU films. And then, you know, the origins will have their own style. You know, the animated films definitely have their own individual styles on occasion. Right. So I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> One of these things should get canceled, and I highly suspect that they will. One of the Joker films. We'll see. Yeah, so the next bit of news is that Jeff Johns is exiting his president and chief creative officer role at DC Entertainment. Which, when I first saw that news, I was like, no, holy shit, that's huge. This is really bad. Yeah. But then I learned that he's moving to a more creative type role where he's serving as writer and producer for a lot of DC entertainment, television, films, and comics. I mean, it doesn't really seem like he's getting a DC entertainment paycheck. seems like he's doing like freelance writing and consulting and producing and, and, you know, working more with Warner Brothers than DC. So there's one of two possible scenarios going on here. The first being that Warner Brothers recognized Jeff Johns as the creative go-to guy for DC and they, they know that he's the key to bringing their film division success. So they kind of moved him. The second scenario is that he was an incompetent businessman as the CCO of DC Entertainment. And so... I think it's both. It's both. I think he was a creative guy. I don't think he was a businessman. Um, I don't think he fit well as a president of the company. And I think he was better off, you know, writing stories and, and producing stories. The way Variety spins this is that he was fired, really? but that he's just so well respected that they needed to give him something to sort of keep him on board because, you know, they do need him. Yeah. You know, they just can't have him a part of DC Entertainment anymore because of the Time Warner merger, which is being voted on tomorrow. Really? Actually, by the time we hear this recording, it being voted on today. Really? Yeah, the government will approve or reject AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner. Interesting. Yeah. It's well, definitely a business move. It's I, definitely a business move. In the end, I like this decision, though, because I'd like to see him more hands-on with these characters in the films as opposed to, you know, helping run a company. Yeah, ultimately, I think he is probably happier or would be happier in this role because he gets to do more of what he loves, which is create, as opposed to, you know, running a business where it didn't seem like he had that much power to begin with. Right. Allegedly, he is a big reason for the Justice League film we got. And, you know, he was part of Green Lantern. He was also part of Wonder Woman. He's part of all these films that haven't necessarily led to successes. Yeah, we don't know in what capacity for each film that he was in, though. True. The big news that came out of this is that he's going to be writing and producing the Green Lantern core film. Right. And, you know, he had a phenomenal run on Green Lantern, and he's widely regarded as one of the best writers of Green Lantern. So no one understands the character more than he does. Yeah. He gets a lot out of this deal. Not only does he, you know, get the Green Lantern core film, which is confirmed to star Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. Good. But he's also going to be manning a DC imprint called The Killing Zone, which is going to focus on new and lesser known DC characters and titles. He's also going to write a Shazam comic book series starting this fall and a title called Three Jokers. Not sure what that's about. Interesting. But he he gets a lot out of this. His his, uh, new production studio, Mad Ghost, 
is going to, I think, produce most, if not all, of the DC films going forward. It looks like he's going to have a lot more creative control. Yeah, it, it may sound like a demotion, but to me, that's where I'd rather have him, honestly. I, agree. I, I have trust I agree. in Jeff Johns. Yeah. I don't have trust in the Warner Brothers executives uh, who I think ruin a lot of these DC films. But that's the thing. Him and Diane Nelson and John Berg were those Warner Brothers executives. Were they, though? Because I thought it was Kevin Suchihara that like put the running time limit on Justice League and stuff like that. That's true. Yeah, who knows? There's so much stuff behind the scenes that we don't know. But I agree, he's in a good place. He's in a better place now. (laughs) Um, Moving on to the next bit of news, the DC Universe digital streaming platform will apparently be launching this August. End of August, late August. Yeah, late August. And it's going to include comic books. So yeah, digital comics. It sounds like it's going to be a mixture of like Hulu and Comixology, which is amazing. It's going to be like DC's version of Marvel Unlimited. Yes, and who dropped this news? It uh, was us. <laughs> you, I think you're punning us on the back too hard. So there. what happened is the news that this is dropping in late August was revealed on another podcast called James Bonding, which is a podcast that I love, that I listen to all the time every week because I'm a huge James Bond fan. And the community manager of the DC Universe, Danny Snow, she was a guest on that and they were talking about Bond girls and she was the one that dropped the news at the end of that episode. And I was listening... And I was like, we had never heard that before. We didn't know this was going to drop in late August. So right. I called Jonathan and I'm like, holy shit, I think Danny Snow just dropped an exclusive on James Bonding. So Jonathan listened to it and he was like, holy shit, that is an exclusive. Let me go to Reddit. So he put it on Reddit and the next day, like all these news outlets were picking up the news. Right. So if you are aware of this news. You have us to thank. You have us to thank. But not really. <laughs> we put it on Reddit. No, we're not really the source. We have Danny Snow to thank. Uh, but it was really good news that she dropped because a lot of people were kind of iffy on whether or not they were actually going to get the service. And the fact that we now have a release date and now that we have a better idea of what the content is going to be, it's going to be that much more appealing. Oh my gosh, my hands are just so itchy. I just want it so bad. I, I, I will pay you anything. <laughs> I will pay you anything. <laughs> I think last time we spoke, you said you wouldn't pay more than like 10 bucks a month for this. I think it was eight. Eight bucks a month? Yeah. Would you pay ten bucks a month for this now? Yes. Yeah. Now that you yeah, probably. Comics? I probably would. If this includes all the comics that I'm buying, like Doomsday Clock and stuff, yeah. which honestly, it may not. It may just be like back issues, uh, sort of like Marvel Unlimited. Right. But if it did include that, oh my gosh. In the words of Kevin Smith, take all my fucking money. <laughs> Danny Snow also revealed that they're going to have like old cartoons on there yeah yeah so i'm thinking it's gonna be like batman the animated series and the superman cartoon yeah the old like justice league cartoons and i'm honestly i'm hoping for like super friends and there's my wonder twins tie-in to this episode right there (laughs) super friends (laughs) yeah i will see if that gets on there too but yeah great news really looking forward to it all we really need to know now is that price point right and uh and by we i mean you because there's no way i'm buying this so (laughs) All right. Speaking of original television content, I did want to give my brief thoughts on the Cloak and Dagger pilot episodes. It was a two hour event. uh, So it was the first two episodes of the season. How did you watch it? I watched it on Hulu. It's available on Hulu if you have a Hulu subscription. Oh. Because they have Freeform's content on there, which I was very grateful for because I didn't want to download the Freeform app. And one of my main concerns about watching the show was that it was going to be too free for me, which is like very like teen soap opera ish. And to an extent it was, but it wasn't in a way that made me roll my eyes. They felt much more real to me as teenage characters than like the characters did on the Runaways television show. Mm -hmm. To me, Runaways should have been on Freeform because that was like teenage soap opera drama stuff. Yeah. I did not like that show. 
because they didn't even run away until the very, very end. But anyway, with Cloak and Dagger, it feels more like a show that should have been on ABC because the content, even though it deals with these two teenage characters, the content is very mature and very adult about everything like that. Mm-hmm. And they did make some changes to the origin, but I think they made them for the better. I really like the way they're putting this all together. Yeah. The one thing that I do not like about the show so far is that Dagger's light knives are physical as opposed to energy-based. So she can like physically stab some somebody with them. Well, we knew that from the trailers. Yeah, we did. I still don't like it, though. What is this new origin? I know we're going to hear the actual comic book origin later on in the episode, but what's the show's origin? So in the show origin, they're both dying. Uh, Both Tandy and Tyrone are drowning, but then all of a sudden they see, well, Tyrone sees this light and he reaches out for it. And she sees a darkness and she reaches out for it. And they're actually reaching out towards each other. And it's, it's, it's actually really well done. So the source of their power is some kind of energy explosion? Yes, although we know from the trailers that they're called the Divine Pairing, so they haven't quite delved into how they got these powers yet. We're just seeing them kind of discover them right now. Ah. But it's it's really fascinating stuff. I highly recommend the show if you have not watched it yet, because it's going to be way better than The Runaways. I don't say that lightly, because I went into The Cloak and Dagger very skeptical, and I, I really cannot wait to watch the next episode. Cool. Two thumbs up. Cool. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's get on to the main event where we talk about who'd win in a fight between the Wonder Twins and Cloak and Dagger. All right. Clash of the Elemental Beings. We have on one side the Wonder Twins who are elemental beings of water and i guess animal nature (laughs) and on the other side we have beings of light and dark in cloak and dagger i think that our decision to switch from hawk and dove to the wonder twins was a great idea because i think this will be a really good matchup where i think power wise they're near the same level but they have completely different power sets yeah, so I have no idea really where this cool. is going to go. This is going to yeah. be a challenge for sure. Yeah. It's also our first match where we're pitting more than one character against each other. Yeah, it's not going to be mono e mono. It's going to be duo e duo. And we weren't really quite sure how to approach this simulation-wise because what we typically do is we take each character's stats among a variety of criteria and run the Monte Carlo method that randomizes those stats along a bell curve, and then we compare those numbers a thousand times to see who would win. It's a thousand battle simulations yes. with stats. In this instance, though, we have two characters. So what we decided to do, I think the only way to do this is to actually create a matrix, because any character could be fighting any other character at any given point in time. Right. So we're going to take each character's win and loss ratio against the other character's, 
and then combine them as well. So not only will we have win ratios for each character, we'll have win ratios for them as a team itself. And we'll compare those numbers to get the actual figure on who would win between the two pairs of characters. Right. Does that make sense? It's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think it was a great solution for how we're going to do this. And later on this year, when we do our big team versus episode, that's what we're going to do with that as well. That's Um, for our uh, episode 100. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as Joseph mentioned earlier, the way we do this is is all stats. Most of our stats are based off the official Marvel power rankings. We extrapolate DC stats from that and we incorporate a few more to help round out what we think is a fully robust simulation of the match. So before we run those simulations, we like to give a breakdown of the character's history and abilities. I think you go first this time. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and get into Cloak and Dagger. So... Cloak and Dagger are a duo of light and dark elemental superheroes who are interesting, I think, because of their sort of yin and yang power set and unique codependent relationship. Cloak's real name is Tyrone Johnson. He grew up in a poor Boston neighborhood, managing life with a chronic stutter that made it difficult to communicate. But he had a best friend named Billy, who was helping him overcome his speech impediment. One day as teenagers, they witnessed an armed robbery at a convenience store where the clerk was fatally shot. Billy ran from the scene, afraid he and Tyrone would be suspected of the murder. A policeman found the boys running and drew his gun on them. Tyrone tried to explain their innocence, but his stutter prevented him from getting any words out. The officer shot and killed Billy, and the sight of seeing his best friend shot and killed haunted Tyrone for the rest of his life. He blamed himself for Billy's death and ran away to New York City. Holy cow. What like a timely origin. Yeah, kind of, it sounds a little bit too familiar now these days, huh? Yeah. Dagger's real name is Tandy Bowen. She was born to a wealthy family and grew up in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Her mom was a self-centered narcissist who neglected her, and her father left when she was a young girl. When her mother married another man, Tandy felt abandoned and unloved, deciding to run away and take a bus to New York City. When she arrived at the terminal, she was attacked by a thief attempting to steal her purse. Tyrone witnessed the robbery in progress and fought off Tandy's attacker. She thanked him by buying him dinner and the two became fast friends. They were offered shelter for the night from some strangers and Tandy naively accepted. Tyrone was less trusting but decided to go along to protect Tandy. Turns out the strangers worked for criminal chemist Dr. Simon Marshall, who was in the process of testing out a new heroin substitute called Delight on homeless teens. Tandy and Tyrone were forcibly injected with the drug alongside a group of other runaways in a secret facility on Ellis Island. The two were the only survivors of the experiment and started developing strange powers as they tried to escape the facility. Tyrone became shrouded in darkness and developed an acute hunger which lessened in the presence of Tandy, who was glowing with a bright white light. To hide and contain his new appearance, Tyrone grabbed a covering off one of the facility's cots to form a makeshift cloak, which he used to draw Marshall's goons into his darkness. Tandy was able to project her light energy as daggers, and the two were able to fight their way off the island and swim away, each saving each other from drowning in the upper New York Bay. They decided to stick together and form a team, not only to fight drug crime and protect other young people from criminals, but because their powers formed a sort of symbiotic relationship. Cloak's body became a portal to the Dark Force, a dimension of complete darkness that corrupts its users and drains the life from those trapped inside. Dagger's body became a conduit of the Light Force, a healing life energy that all living beings possess some quantity of. Cloak's Dark Force portal feeds off of Dagger's Light Force energies, which build up in her over time. 
Without Dagger, Cloak would eventually become a weakened, corrupted being that would need to feed off the life force of civilians to survive. Mm -hmm. Without Cloak, Dagger would endanger those around her as her built-up energies would eventually overload and explode out uncontrollably. They started out as ruthless vigilantes, which was weird because they were just killing people left and right. What the heck? Including the criminal chemist Dr. Simon Marshall that gave them their powers. Their whole judge-jury-executioner thing was mainly due to the corrupting influence of Cloak's dark force, but Dagger was eventually able to resist and steer Cloak toward a more merciful approach. They began operating out of the Holy Ghost Church in New York City, where they would fight crime and assist street-level and mystic heroes such as Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, respectively. Their quest to assist runaway children also brought them to Malibu, where they assisted the teen hero group called the Runaways from their parents, a secret criminal group known as the Pride. For a while, Tandy and Tyrone believed they were mutants whose powers were unlocked through the drug D-Light, but it later turned out the drug was created by their adversary, Despair, a demon that feeds off of negative emotions. He secretly manipulated Tandy and Tyrone to become vessels for his mystic power, uh, which is why they didn't die when they took the drug. When he tried to collect that power, they resisted and Despair was defeated. So it was revealed that they weren't mutants and that their powers were actually mystic in origin. They're called mutates when they're mutated without actually having the X gene. Mm -hmm. They later learned that a human trafficker named Martin Lee was also injected with D-Light that night they got their powers. He escaped the Ellis Island facility as well to later become one of their adversaries known as Mr. Negative, who possessed a dual personality with both light and dark powers. He used his Dark Force touch to corrupt Tandy into becoming a conduit of the Dark Force instead of the Light Force, and he used his Light Force touch to invert Tyrone into a portal for the Light Force, effectively switching their powers. They were manipulated into serving Mr. Negative with an addictive drug called Shade, but Spider-Man was able to free them from his influence by creating an antidote for the drug. Tandy and Tyrone's powers returned to normal at that time. Mr. Negative, isn't he the villain of the new Spider-Man game? I don't know. Yeah, I think he is. He, I know he has fought Spider-Man on numerous occasions as well. So, yeah, he is. He's kind of, they're kind of, he's a, kind of like a shared villain. That's cool. So, what are Tandy and Tyrone's powers? Well, Cloak has the limited ability to spread out and resize his cloak to absorb people into his Dark Force portal. When in the Dark Force portal, unprotected criminals experience visions of their greatest fears and nightmares as their life forces are drained. If Cloak keeps them in the Dark Force dimension for too long, they die. Cloak can manipulate the Dark Force to extend out from his cape to enshroud the general vicinity in darkness. Being a living portal, his body and cloak are typically intangible, though he can willfully become solid to interact with the physical world. Mm -hmm. He also has the means to teleport himself and Dagger by withdrawing himself into the Dark Force dimension and reappearing elsewhere. Like Nightcrawler. Yes, although Nightcrawler goes through the Brimstone dimension, not the Dark Force dimension. Oh. Dagger has the ability to manipulate her light energy daggers mid-flight to seek out her targets. She throws them and can control their flight path. Oh, that's cool. They can be used as tracking mechanisms that lock in on the life force of others. When hit by the life force, a criminal goes into a painful shock from the energy's purity, much like a drug addict getting hit with a hard dose of cold turkey. They experience visions of their purest dreams, what life could be like without their poor choices. Those dreams, combined with the Light Force's detoxifying properties, often help to reform and rehabilitate criminals. Wow. Her light projection isn't limited to her daggers. She can also diffuse the energy to illuminate dark areas or focus it into blinding flares as bright as the sun. 
Dagger is also remarkably agile due to her past as a ballerina and the enhancement of the life energy within her. Uh, their one weakness, I guess, is that neither of their powers affect non-living objects. If Dagger hits like a wall with her light daggers, it doesn't like stick into the wall. It just disperses or it'll ricochet mm-hmm. depending on what she wants it to do. What if she throws it into water? Uh, does the water have a soul? Nope. I don't know. <laughs> it probably does. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Uh, so yeah, that's Cloak and Dagger. Uh, what, did you think that was interesting? Did you like that? I guess. I don't know. Okay. I always thought Cloak and Dagger have always been really cool. They are but cool. Unfortunately, like I, most of the stuff that I read with them, like I did collect a few of their miniseries throughout the years, some of their arcs from the 80s and stuff like that, but I, I haven't read too much, so there was a lot of holes that I had to f- fill in here with research. And honestly, they didn't have a huge backstory from what I was able to tell. But uh, oh, you think they don't con- have a huge backstory? <laughs> just wait, just wait, sir. Conceptually, I think Cloak and Dagger are really cool. But yeah, you couldn't find anything on the Wonder Twins. It's because they didn't no. have their origins in the comics, right? The no, Wonder it was Twins from the it was the Super Friends cartoon. Yeah, yeah. The, there was it was really hard to find a lot of information on them. I think I have one comic book that they appear in. Uh-huh. So uh, I actually had to buy quite a few more comics for my research because there wasn't a ton of stuff on the internet. So actually, what I think I've compiled is probably one of the more extensive curated histories of these two characters that exists on the web. So all right, consider cool. yourself lucky. <laughs> So the Wonder Twins, Zan and Jaina, originally appeared in the all-new Super Friends Hour cartoon television series by Hanna-Barbera in the late 70s. Their look was based on Spock from Star Trek, and their personalities were based on Donnie and Marie Osmond, who were extremely popular at the time. They and their pet monkey, Gleek, essentially replaced former characters Wendy, Marvin, and the Wonder Dog on that show since they were little more than teenage proxies for their viewers who couldn't participate in battles. They were useless. Mm -hmm. But Zan and Jaina were not, and they eventually made their way from the cartoon into the Super Friends comic adaptations where their origin was revealed. They're aliens from the planet Exor, uh, born to Fanab and Rua. Originally, they got their abilities from recessive Exorian genes. They were shape-shifting mutants. Zan was able to turn into water-based forms, and Jaina into animals. Their parents died during a plague that swept their planet, and the twins were placed in an orphanage. No Exorian family would adopt mutants, however, so the two were given to a carnival owner named Dentwill. He forced Jaina to turn into zoo animals to amuse carnival patrons, and Zan had to turn into fountains. Okay. Uh, they befriended the other carnival workers, including a clown named Illick and his pet blue monkey, Gleek. Illick essentially raised the twins, as the carnival owner, Dentwill, only saw them as property. As they grew up, Zan and Jaina grew resentful of Dentwill, especially when they learned that, as property, they were never paid anything beyond food and shelter. After confronting Dentwill and being denied payment, they used their shape-changing abilities to force Dentwill into relinquishing legal ownership of them. After which, they escaped the carnival and together, with Gleek, they used a spaceship to leave the planet. During their interplanetary explorations, they stumbled across a Superman villain named Grax, who they discovered had plans to destroy Earth. The twins traveled to our planet and warned the Super Friends of Grax's plans. Thanks to Zan and Jaina, the Earth was saved, and the two were welcomed onto the Super Friends team. 
Before they left the team for college, Wendy and Marvin helped the twins get acquainted with Earth's customs. Now, that's their super friend's origin. Mm -hmm. In the DC Comics Universe continuity, Zan and Jaina didn't appear until the mid-90s. They were never part of an alien carnival. Instead, they were the benevolent rulers of Exor, among a council of ten, with four other pairs of twins, all endowed with elemental shape-shifting abilities such as fire, stone, shadow, etc. But their peaceful reign ended when they made first contact with an alien civilization known as the Overseers, who offered advanced technology in exchange for slaves. The Council was entranced by the prospect of better lives brought about by the technology, and Zan and Jaina were outvoted. The Exorian Council of Twins struck a bargain with the Overseers and selected Exorians from each of their own provinces for enslavement. The twins, Jen and Zaina, selected themselves to prevent any of their people from becoming slaves. Hmm. They were stripped of their regency and given to Ovon Kelt, the master slave lord who coveted Jaina. During their enslavement, they discovered that the Overseer's technology was fueled by life energy and that their entire race was in trouble. Using their shape-shifting abilities and belts that masked their whereabouts from Ovan Kelt, they managed to escape with a spaceship and the Overseer's most powerful technology, something called the Flesh Driver. Hmm. Gross. I don't know. (laughs) So low on supplies and facing starvation, the twins crashed on Earth, where they got into an altercation with a gas station attendant due to the communication barrier. The Justice League offshoot team known as Extreme Justice, featuring heroes like Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, and Booster Gold, arrived on the scene and a fight broke out between them and the twins. In the scuffle, Blue Beetle managed to to remove Zan's belt that masked his location, and he was instantly teleported back to Ovon Kelt. Worried for her brother, Jaina removed her belt as well and was also teleported back. They were punished for stealing the flesh driver, and Ovan Kelt directed his ship toward Earth to retrieve it. I imagine the flesh driver, they never show it. I think it's a mixture between a flash drive and a dildo. (laughs) I can only suspect. I don't know. Vibrator, I don't know. So, uh, not knowing who Zan and Jaina were or what they were doing on Earth, the Extreme Justice team collected the technology the twins left behind, including the flesh driver. Blue Beetle used it to create a new advanced power suit for Booster Gold, and I touch on this in our Booster Gold versus Cable episode. Oh, okay. When Ovon Kelt and the twins arrived back on Earth, Zan and Jaina were able to convince him that the Extreme Justice team was dangerous and that they could get the flesh driver back peacefully on their own. Ovon Kelt teleported back to his ship and the twins with the help of Booster's new suit, were able to explain their situation. Realizing the flesh driver was safe with Booster Gold, as it fed off the suit's quantum energy rather than his own life force, the twins called for a Heron Kata, which is an Exorian judgment ritual in which the group challenged the Exorian Council of Twins to combat to decide the truth of the matter. Extreme Justice helped the twins in the challenge, and they emerged victorious. In their victory, they earned their freedom, and they decided to stay on Earth with the Extreme Justice team to make sure that the Overseers did not try to take back the Flesh Driver. After Extreme Justice disbanded, Zan and Jaina have only had a smattering of appearances within DC continuity, 
but they include adventures with super teams such as Young Justice and the Teen Titans. So power-wise, the twins are powerful shapeshifters, though they have to physically touch each other to activate yeah. their shapeshifting abilities. More often than not, the contact was in the form of a fist bump. In the cartoon, they always announced what form they were going to take, but in the comics, that's not a requirement. As mentioned earlier, Zan can transform his entire body, or his limbs, into water-based forms in a liquid ice or vapor state. He could also incorporate water from the atmosphere or nearby water sources to add to his mass, allowing him to turn into things such as an ice giant, a small localized hurricane, or even a shrouding mist. Like when he became fountains, can you incorporate like marble into his structure? Or like I no. saw him turn into like a bucket of water one time or something. No, but he could turn into anything solid, just it's ice. Okay. So he could turn into like an ice fountain that spouts water, liquid water. Gotcha. So Jaina can transform her body or limbs into animal forms, whether from Earth or any other alien planet, including a King Kong-sized fire-breathing gorilla, a massive prehistoric flying raptor, or a hundred tentacled kraken with acidic ink that I'm inventing for this match. What? The two also have a telepathic bond, but, you know, that's just like any other set of twins. Oh yeah, we have telepathic powers. Dude. I just realized I wasn't supposed to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so after we go over each character's powers and backstories, as we've just done, we like to go ahead and discuss how we think the match would actually go. How we think one of these 1000 simulations that we're going to run would actually go. Right. So uh, we like to start the characters off about 50 yards apart in a location that does not favor any particular individual. So we, we say it takes place in no environment. Because we don't take stats for the environment. Correct. And the last rule we set for these matches is that the characters know that each other are threats. Right. So they know they have to defeat each other, but they don't know anything else about each other. So they, they won't know what the, each other's powers are or anything like that. Right. All right. So let's go ahead and get this party started. All right. Who makes the first move? Um, 50 yards apart. Right. I'm going to say Zan and Jaina do. They make the first move by fist bumping. Okay. And then uh, Jaina turns into a giant pterodactyl. Okay. And Zan turns into like like uh, a spiky ice man who get, climbs on her back and rides her. A spiky ice man who rides a pterodactyl. Yes. Okay. So he, they go up into the air and then he goes over Cloak and Dagger and he, he starts throwing ice missiles. So he's throwing them right at Dagger. And immediately, Cloak steps in front of Dagger, and all those ice missiles just go right into his cloak, and he absorbs them all. Okay. Dagger jumps through Cloak and shoots her daggers right at the pterodactyl and the ice guy. Uh-huh. And it looks like she misses, but the light knives turn midair and hit Zan and Fran <laughs> right in the back. Okay. So they both get hit by these light daggers and go into shock. Except that they have a different life force than normal humans, so it's not going to affect them in that same way. Uh, it is going to affect them in that same way. No, because one of the things that they learned from the, in the comics from the Flesh Driver is that the Overseer technology fed off of their life force, but it didn't do that to Booster Gold because the twins' life force was more like quantum energy, which is why the Flesh Driver fed off of his quantum batteries essentially. So they do have a different life force than humans, and that's been established. You can't just make shit up. I'm not making that up. I have the comic for it. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> it hits them and it hurts so them. So it hits them. It doesn't hurt them. It just makes them more powerful. 
Um, it doesn't make it more powerful. <laughs> I don't know what's going to do to them, but it's, again, they're not humans, so it's not going to affect them in the same way. I have no idea how it's going to affect them. Well, we need to figure out exactly how it would affect them because that's something that we need to know. We're just going to say it's not going to affect them because there's no way we could say how it can affect them. I want to say that it affects them twice as much. <laughs> I disagree. Why don't we just accept that it would affect them like how it would affect like anybody else? Because I'm not willing to cede that. <laughs> well, because we don't know if it won't affect them and we don't know if it'll doubly affect them. So we'll just compromise me in the middle and say this match is just like, you know, how it normally would be without any sort of type of cheating. <laughs> uh. Alright, okay. So they get stunned. So they get stung and they both, you know, fall, fall to the ground. Okay. Uh-huh. But as they're falling, they touch hands and they activate their powers again. So Zan turns into a giant wave of water that lands safely. And Jaina turns into a tentacled kraken with acidic ink. <laughs> You're already going there? <laughs> yeah. So Zan floods the area. So, you know, Cloak and Dagger are like swirling in the water. And Jaina grabs he, he them. He can produce that much water? Yeah, he can produce a lot of water. Like an ocean's worth? Not an ocean's worth. Definitely not an ocean's worth, but enough to like create a, like a localized blizzard or flood. Definitely enough to like fill a small area with water. A lot of water. Uh-huh. So Jaina has them like by the necks and she's choking them out with her tentacles. Okay, so I think Dagger is going to be shooting her light knives at the tentacles uh, so that they release her. It's interesting because neither Cloak nor Dagger can fly, so they're going to have a hard time dealing with this flood of water at their feet. They're going to have to swim out. Yeah, I think Cloak would be able to um, absorb most of it. He's him. absorbing Zan then. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, so Zan's going into his cloak. Like all of him? I don't know. Like I think eventually Zan would stop the flood because part of his essence is going into Cloak. And you don't want to be in the Dark Force dimension because it drains the life force out of you. So he's like, oh shit. So like he probably stops the flood and then the water that he's absorbed is probably like extra as I don't really know how the whole water thing works with, with Fran, but I imagine that he stops the flood. Zan is Zan, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> and is but is and is able to reappear as Zan from the surrounding water that wasn't absorbed into the cloak. Alright, so I mean they're definitely touching because you know, Jane is swimming in Zan. Uh-huh. Zan's water. Yeah. I don't know why that sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so, you know, then they, they turn into something else. Let's see. Jaina turns into Crypto, um, <laughs> which you can learn more about in our Crypto versus Throg episode. <laughs> and Zan turns into a thick fog, so they can't see anything. Okay, so... But Crypto can, or Jaina as a Kryptonian dog can, and she gets peer through it and she... With her x-ray vision? Yeah, she zaps them with her heat vision. So they dodge the heat vision, like Cloak absorbs the heat vision and Dagger, you know, somersaults out of the way. You can't just absorb lasers like that. Well, he's intangible, so yeah, he, the fuck he can. It goes into him. All right. And Dagger would actually be able to burn away the thick fog with her illumination powers. They're so bright that they'd be able to see that the heat vision is coming at them. So, and then at that point, she flares even brighter to blind the dog, so the dog is no longer able to use the heat vision because it's too busy closing its eyes from the brightness. Okay. And then Cloak's like, I've had it with this shit, and then he starts toward Zayna. Jaina. What the fuck ever? <laughs> he's gonna go towards Jaina, and then he's gonna swallow her into the cloak. So now, not only Except is she in the cloak, they no, can no longer touch. No. no, so as Jaina sees Cloak moving towards her, she uses her freeze breath and freezes him. Except he's intangible. 
Oh my god, so he goes through the ice and then continues toward her anyway. So is he gonna be tangible at any point in this match? If he wants to be. Oh my gosh. Besides, he's used to the the cold. The Dark Force is a very cold place. So anyway, okay. so yeah, he's like, that didn't work. And then he just swallows her up in his cape. Okay, but then- the Kryptonian dog. Because she's Kryptonian, she flies out of him. Her and Zan- like, Well, she can probably her. fly out quicker than he can actually You're damn right. Up. You're damn right. Okay. You're damn right. All right. Uh-huh. Um, so then they go to each other and they fist bump. Uh-huh. And they turned into- I don't know. Fuck it. Godzilla and a giant, like, water spout tornado. Okay. So Zan is going in his water, and the force of his spin is just, like, knocking him around and beating the shit out of them. And as they're being knocked around, Jaina blows her fireball at them, so she's burning them as they're trapped in the whirlpool. And then Dagger goes into Cloak's dark dimension, and they're able to teleport out of that whirlpool slash fire pool. I don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> and they reappear behind frickin' Fran, and at that point, Dagger jumps out and zaps both of them with her light daggers again. So they're stunned again, and Cloak swallows them up in his, in his cape, and so they're both in the Dark Force dimension now. Now what are they gonna do? Um, okay, so, so they fist bump in the Dark Force dimension, uh-huh. and Zan turns into, like, a ice crystal? And Jaina turns into some kind of creature that emits light, whether it's like through bioluminescence. It's just really fucking bright. That's all I know. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's say it's some kind of what, what's the like an anglerfish. Okay. Uh huh. And she shines the light into the crystal that Zan has turned into. Uh huh. And the light scatters everywhere, and it hurts Cloak. I don't think that would hurt Cloak. It would at least sustain them from getting their life energy drained. Uh huh. I'm not sure if the light within there would actually hurt them because because Dagger going inside the Dark Force dimension doesn't hurt him. It actually feeds him. So if anything, you would just be feeding him okay. with the light. I was just fucking staying there until, <laughs> until he wants to spit me out. Come At out. that point, he'll probably be like, well, this isn't doing anything. We're not going to win the match with them just sticking there. So he spits him out, and then as he spits him out of his cloak, Dagger's right there waiting with like 10 light daggers <laughs> going into the friggin' Fran all at once. Um, except that as they were being expelled, they, you know, fist bump each other again, and uh, Zan transforms into uh, moisture in the air, water vapor, uh -huh. so you can't see him, and Jaina turns into, like, an octopus-type creature that is able to camouflage, so you can't see it. So she, they both turn invisible, essentially, is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. As Clo soon as they become visible no, again. No, no, no. So okay. Cloak and Dagger are looking for them, and she stretches her tentacles out, Right when they step on her, she activates her bioelectric field because she's oh sort God. of like like an electric eel, and she electrocutes the shit out of them, which is compounded by the moisture in the air caused by Zan, and they're both fried. Oh, that was actually a really damn good move. Yes! Yes! And with that, I say that this battle has gone on long <laughs> enough because I have no more tricks in my bag, as it were. And uh, let's go ahead and run these simulations. Take it to the stats. Cool. We'll be back. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Oh my God, that took forever. It is so much <laughs> harder when you're comparing matrices of data to just columns of data. It yeah. took a really long time. It took but like four times the amount of time. <laughs> yeah, we had, to, we had to account for each character fighting against each character because you never know in a simulation who would be fighting whom. And you have to also account for team-ups as well. So uh, not only do we have the data for the individual stats, we have the data for the team stats, and we have it all compared. Jonathan is actually going to tell us who the winner is. Right, because I, I have the spreadsheet with all of the accumulated data on yes. it. So this is my first time. Oh my gosh, you're going to announce the winner. <laughs> How do you think it went? Honestly, I do not think it went well for Cloak and Dagger. Um, Cloak and Dagger, I found out in compiling the stats, they have really cool powers, yeah. but stats-wise, they don't look that impressive because, you know, they're not super strong. They're not great hand-to-hand combatants. You know, uh, they're not especially durable when they do get hit, even though they're incredibly evasive. And, like, across the board, none of them are especially gifted strategically or intelligence-wise. And they're- they do heavy damage to people, but not, like... In general. Right. And, you know, the, the, the Wonder Twins did have their own weaknesses. Like, they're not especially intelligent. You know, they, they did lead a planet, but, you know, it was a peaceful planet. So it's not like when it comes to, like, fighting strategy, they're adept by any means. Fighting skill-wise, they're lacking as well. They're lacking as well. But right. with, they have a lot more versatility. You right. know, when you account for all the animals that she can turn into and all the different forms he can take, they're faster and they can be, you know, physically stronger and things like that. Yeah. So... I don't know. I think stats-wise, I think Cloak and Dagger are going to have a hard time winning this. And I suspect that it's not even really going to be that close, to be honest with you. So just... Well, let me tell you how close it is. Just give it to me straight. Out of a thousand matches, the Wonder Twins were victorious. Um, Yeah. With 766 wins. And Cloak and Dagger had 234 oh. wins. I thought it was going to be like the high 60s. It's pretty it's good. It's only like three out of four matches. That's a decent win. That's a really good it's win. It's a C. It's a C at best. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what was it? 766 yeah, matches? So 76.6% of the time, the Wonder Twins would win. Versus uh, Cloak and Dagger, 23.4% of the time they would win. That's a hard pill to swallow. I really like Cloak and Dagger. Honestly, I thought they were going to win. But... Yeah, stats-wise, they they were just abysmal. Yeah. The Wonder Twins definitely have a lot more going for them. Like, what Cloak and Dagger have is great. But it's so one note. But it's so one note. Yeah. And Frick and Fran have a lot more going for them. <laughs> Zan so and I could, Jaina. So I could see why why they won. <laughs> it's like Tarzan and Jane. Oh, now Zan you tell me. Jane. <laughs> I, I probably won't remember that anyway. <laughs> All right, that does it for this episode. Uh, go ahead and tell us your thoughts uh, by following us on social media. And you can find our social media pages by going to dynamicduel.com. And you can find our Twitter and our Facebook and our Instagram. I highly recommend our Instagram the most because we post all of our images yeah. there. and They're pretty cool looking. Yeah. Uh, so follow us on Instagram if you want to. Or you can email us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com. We do respond to that. And uh, in our next episode, we will be reviewing The Dark Knight. 
We've reviewed a lot of good Marvel films over these past couple years. Yeah. And all I'm saying is it's about time we reviewed a good DC film. So I hate you. We're going to be doing that next week. So look forward to that. We're also reviewing that because it's going to be the Dark Knight's 10-year anniversary. Yeah, it'll be a here. month before the yeah. Dark Knight's 10-year anniversary. So we figured it was a good time to do that. So look forward to that. Can't believe it's been 10 years. Good gosh. <laughs> and uh, don't forget that you can go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code dual to get a free month of Stitcher Premium where you can listen to Wolverine the Long Night podcast, which is produced by Marvel and also stars Richard Armitage as Wolverine. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. And also don't forget at the end of this episode, we'll be giving a preview of this Thursday's bonus Patreon episode where we break down the top 10 costume adaptations of superheroes in film. Yeah, it'll be, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, you'll hear a preview of it in a few seconds. So up, up, and away. True believers. Number nine, we are giving to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man outfit that was worn by Tobey Maguire in those that trilogy of yeah, films. Yeah. Now, while I do think that I like some of the subsequent costumes, such as like Tom Holland's, I think that's a great adaptation for the Marvel Universe. Right. But it was really this costume, this Spider-Man costume, that really made superheroes viable it kind of set the standard for like spandex right because before this people always perceived spandex costumed superheroes as like the christopher reeve suit or adam west's batman suit right like that was superhero tights to a lot of people and spider-man wears you know tights but what this film did was it gave it texture yeah it added interest to the actual fabric that made it a lot more palatable it made it less cheesy yeah we're not just talking about like the webbing but like if you look really closely there's like a hexagonal kind of pattern running throughout the suit right um and it really gives it depth and it really gave it like you said interest and you look at a lot of the later costumes like say man of steel's costume i think the man of steel costume was a much better adaptation than brendan routh's superman returns costume right because of that very fact because it had interest because it had texture Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.